the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul's second letter um, to the church at Corinth there in chapter 8. Again, we've been going through a series of, of messages here entitled Abounding, and this morning's um, message is drawn from verse number 7, Abound ye in everything, or as ye abound, uh, abound in everything. Um, so we're going to begin reading right there in verse number 1, only a few verses down to verse 7 or so. So if you don't mind, please stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse number 1. The Bible says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power... I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Verse 5 says, And this they did, not as we hoped, they surprised them, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God, insomuch that we desired Titus, that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. Therefore... As ye abound in everything, as ye abound in faith, in utterance, and knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you so much this morning, and we thank you for this passage of Scripture. We thank you for Sunday school this morning. We thank you for meeting with us here uh, up in, up in uh, this auditorium, Lord, and we thank you. Lord, I need you this morning, and I pray, Lord, that you meet with me specifically, Lord. And then that you also meet with each and every one of us, Lord, as we interact with your text, as we interact with the truth of your word, as we see you high and lifted up, Lord. Lord, help me to preach what you've laid on my heart to preach, what you've given me, your message, your words, nothing else, nothing more, nothing less. May your Holy Spirit, Lord, fill us, fill me, fill the preaching, fill this room, Lord. And Lord, we, we desperately need your presence. We need your presence, Lord. And I beg you for your presence. I beseech you, Lord. And I thank you that, and I know that you're here because you promised to be here, Lord. And we thank you for that, Lord. Be with the children across the way, Lord. Be with those in the nursery as well. And again, Lord, be with us as we, as we preach your holy word. And we thank you in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Again, the title for today's message, please be seated. The title for today's message is still abounding in everything, taken from these first handful of the verses there in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And if you recall, last week, um, we began at that series called Abounding, and we used Philippians chapter 1 uh, as a source text, which you also remember, Philippi, that is a church in Macedonia, one of the churches that Paul is talking about here, if not the church. Um, the chapter begins with Paul's plea, this chapter begins with Paul's plea for the church at Corinth, for the Corinthian church, to recognize the grace of God that was bestowed upon the Philippian church and continues with why God bestowed His grace upon that church. Now, again, as we talked about last week, it is by God's grace that we are saved. It is by God's grace that we are saved. Romans 3.23 is clear in that we all fall short of God's glory, but the very next verse, Romans 3.24, states that we are justified freely by His grace by His grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2.8 also says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, the grace, the faith, the salvation, all of it is a gift from God. And if you really think about it, the entirety of every man's existence is by God's grace. 
Even more so it, is that true for us who have accepted his payment for us on, uh, that he made for us on the cross of Calvary, for us who have been redeemed. I like that Brother Terry used Ephesians chapter 1, actually a couple verses uh, from our sermon this morning, but Ephesians chapter 1, 7 and 8 says that we, have been, that we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us. The grace, the riches of God's grace, wherein He hath abounded toward us. So God has abounded the riches of His grace to us. And to be crystal clear this morning, the abounding riches of God's grace only comes one way. It only comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember that according to John 1.17, I think we've mentioned this a couple weeks now in a row, that grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. He is truth. And His saving grace is reserved for those who through faith receive it. It is reserved for those who through faith call upon the name of the Lord for forgiveness of sins to receive eternal life. And may I add, not a temporary life, but an eternal life. Not a thousand-year life, not a hundred-year life, but an eternal life that we are actually born into. It's a new life. Speaking of receiving this life, Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3, you must be born again to see the kingdom of heaven. This is what it means to be saved. And God makes salvation so clear so clear for example in Acts 16 the Philippian jailer went uh, went up to Paul and says well what must I do to be saved I love that question and even better the answer believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved you know as complex as our God is salvation is simple speaking of God's complexities David wrote in Psalm 139 verse 6 such knowledge is too wonderful it's too wonderful for me it's too high I cannot attain to it Isaiah 55 talks about how God's ways and His thoughts are so much higher than ours. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul talk about, talk, uh, wrote about the wisdom of man. It's just mere foolishness to God. Even so, aren't we thankful that God, in all His deep complexities, made the way of salvation simple? He made it simpler than filing your taxes, for example. I mean, it's so simple, easier than fifth grade math. You know, in a world where we may not know how to please our boss in order to get promoted or even how to break through to financial freedom in this world, God made the greatest gift simple. Just receive Jesus Christ. Agree with God's assessment of you and that you fall short of His glory. Realize that because of sin you are born to spend an eternity in hell. You must be born again and take that knowledge. Turn to God and by faith receive the payment Jesus made for you on the cross of Calvary. Be born again. That's the greatest thing. That's the reason we're here is because of the cross. Because we are born again. His grace abounds. All of that is because of God's grace. And remember His His grace abounds Greater than your sin, greater than yesterday's sin, greater than today's sin, this afternoon's sin, tomorrow's sin, next week. His grace is all over, greater than all of that. It's all covered by God's marvelous grace. Our salvation begins with grace, and it is by grace we live. We are saved by grace. We are sanctified by grace. Everything good in our life is because of grace. So in verse 7 here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, where God through Paul told the Corinthian church to abound in everything... This is only possible because of the riches of God's grace. What could we say more about the riches of God's grace? We could stay here for an eternity talking about the great grace of our God. That last phrase there in verse 7 states that, See that ye abound in this grace also. 
that phrase, the way it's worded, truly clues us in on the fact that there are actually different aspects of grace. He says this grace, different aspects of grace that impact every aspect of our life. Paul wrote, see that you abound in this grace. What was this grace? Well, verse 1 and 2 tell us that it was the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. That's the grace that Paul's talking about. Verse 5 states that they first gave their own selves to the Lord. So the grace that Paul wanted them to abound in was the grace of giving, beginning with themselves. We will talk more specifically about this grace as we go forward probably next week and why we should also abound in this grace. But notice first that there were some areas that the church at Corinth was already abounding in. What a great truth this is. Look at verse 7 again. As ye abound in everything, in faith, in utterance, in knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love to us, see that you abound in this grace also. To the Corinthian church, Paul said, just like you're abounding in faith, utterance, knowledge, diligence, and love, see that you abound in this grace also. Now, we might just read through these verses, and maybe even the first part of that, and just and just miss the significance of what Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. I do not believe the Corinthian Christians missed the significance of this church. You see, there is another letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, and it wasn't so wonderful for them to receive. Paul's first letter to them was really 16 chapters full of chastisement because they were missing the mark over and over and over again. They had some good things going. There was some promise, of course. They were indeed redeemed, but they were infants in Christ. When they should have been adults, they were infants in Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, in Paul's first letter, chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, Paul says, I fed you with milk and not with meat, speaking of the word. For hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able, for ye are yet carnal. They were supposed to be adults, but they were only drinking the milk of the word. And then also in 1 Corinthians, no less than eight times, no less than eight times did Paul use Phrases like, know ye not, in 1 Corinthians, to introduce to them area after area after area where they were failing to properly live out their walk, their Christian life. Phrases like, know ye not that you're the temple of God. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Know ye not that, unrighteous, that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. On and on, Paul's admonitions are peppered throughout the entire first letter. But now we read something different. 2 Corinthians is a little bit different than, the first, than 1 Corinthians, probably quite positive for those who are reading this letter. Now we read here specifically in, first, in chapter 8 that they were growing in their walk with the Lord, abounding even. They were abounding in their walk with the Lord. Paul's prayers for the Corinthian church were working. Paul's prayers were working. The first letter was working. His first sermons to them were working in that church. And more importantly, God was working so much so that that church was abounding. Remember, by large increments, abounding in their walk with the Lord, greater and greater and greater, closer and closer to God. We read that they were growing in their walk with the Lord, even abounding. You know, without even reading what Paul wrote about the, the churches of Macedonia here in chapter 8, they were already abounding in some of the same areas 
of the Philippian church that Paul was writing about. Remember our source text from last week? Paul told the church at Philippi in verse number 7 of chapter 1, Philippi, or Philippians 1-7, I pray that your love may abound, yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. Well, here in 2 Corinthians 8, the church at Corinth, before they received this letter, they were already abounding. Right there in the text, verse number 7, they were already abounding in love and in knowledge and other things even. And personally, if you look at these, this text order here, let's read verse 7 again. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, the apostle to the church here, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. Now, did Paul just pull out these things from the air? I, I don't think so. Every word is inspired, right? Every, even, even the accents over the letters, God says they won't, ever fall, they won't fall away. These words are God's words. So I think the order that Paul lists these things in are very important. In other words, before we can truly abound in grace giving, in this grace that Paul talks about, we must abound in these five areas because they're all connected. In fact, everything we do for God is connected to something His mercy, is connected to His grace, our love is connected to our obedience, and on and on and on. So we must abound in these five spirit-inspired words here, areas, before we can abound in the grace. Now, to abound in the giving of self and to abound in the giving of things that are near to us and the giving of things that are dear to us, it's not only a mark of authentic Christianity. According to this text, it's a mark of Christian maturity. It's a mark of maturity. And, and even furthermore, I'm certain that the abounding in this specific type of grace, the abounding in grace giving, is the product of abounding in those, er- in those other areas of grace. We've already spent some time looking at what it means to abound in love and what it means to abound in knowledge. We did that last week, which leaves us really three areas left of this list of five from Paul. It leaves us with faith, utterance, and diligence, right? So look at verse number seven. Therefore, as ye abound in everything in faith, we haven't talked about it yet since in our, in our look at Philippians, utterance and knowledge. We talked about knowledge last week there in, in, the, in the book of Philippians. And in all diligence, we haven't talked about that. We talked about your love already. And uh, even Philippians adds in discernment. But we're going to talk about these three things that are missing here that we haven't, not really missing, missing from us talking about them, I guess. We're going to talk about faith, utterance, and diligence. And in this passage, and in so many words, Paul wrote, just like you abound in faith, I want you to abound in grace. Just like you abound in faith, I want you to abound in faith. Well, a clear implication for us, before we can abound in grace, we must abound in that faith, right? So in an effort to drive the importance of this truth home to our hearts and our minds this morning, I've kind of changed the words a little bit. and because I like alliteration. Uh, but we're going to call this conviction. Because I think as Christians, if you grew up in a church a lot, you hear that word faith, and it almost slips away. But conviction maybe is something where we don't use quite as much. So we're, we're going to say that Paul is telling us to follow the example of the Corinthian church to abound in faith or to abound in conviction, which we have up here on the side. We are to abound in conviction. Now the Greek word for this, the Greek word, underline beneath the word faith is pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S. And it's derived from a word that means persuasion. But when it's in this shortened form with a couple different, um, different nuances in the text, um, it means 
a little bit more than I am persuaded. It carries with it kind of a, of a moral conviction, something that's deep-seated, faith. Biblically speaking, having faith is synonymous with having a deep conviction that something is true, specifically for us, the gospel message and the complete doctrine in the Word of God. We have conviction that these words are true. Our salvation is based on our conviction that these things are true. So to have faith in God is to believe with conviction that there actually is a God. Right? Hebrews eleven six that he that cometh to God must believe that he is. Even right before that, uh, in the first part of that verse, he even says that it's impossible to please God without faith. Pistis, without faith, without conviction. Because he that cometh to God must believe, same word by the way, that he is. We must be convicted that God is. Therefore, faith or shall we say conviction, is one of at least three different primary ingredients involved in our personal salvation. And it is the only one that we exercise in the process of salvation. The other three are, are, those three are love, grace, and faith. And we were reminded last week that God sent His Son, Jesus, why? Because He loves us. John 3.16 makes that very clear. For God so loved that He gave. So God sent Jesus out of love. And the grace of salvation only comes through Jesus, John 1.17. And because Ephesians 2.8 states that by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, through faith, same word, pistis, conviction, it is the gift of God. We know that saving faith, that saving grace, comes through faith, comes through conviction. Love truly makes all of this possible. None of this would be possible without God's love. Love makes salvation possible. Grace is therefore extended to all men because of Jesus Christ, and it reaches each man on the rails of faith, if you will. It's not a collective faith. It is an individual faith. And for the record, man cannot do anything of himself to come to God. And any and all inclination that you and I might have before salvation is from God. It's a gift of God. Even faith is a gift of God. Man, every single one of us, every, from Adam and on, man must be drawn to God by God. There is no other way. Jesus said very clearly in John six forty four, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. Well, praise God, that's exactly what the God the Father does. John 12, 32, Jesus said, Speaking of the cross, if I be lifted up from the earth, what's he going to do? Draw all men Unto me, I've heard an argument uh, from John 6.44 from more of the predetermined theologians, if you will, and they said that word draw there means to drag beyond or against our will, to drag to God. So no man can come to, uh, to God except the Father drags him. Well, Jesus used the same word. If I be lifted up from the earth, I will drag all men unto me. So if you have any inclination to come to Christ, it's because God wants you to come to Him. And this great truth falls perfectly in line with 2 Peter 3, 9, which states God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And again, all of this by grace, by grace through faith. But let's be honest, back in our text here, this is probably not what Paul had completely in mind when he wrote, that the Corinthian church was abounding in faith. Sure, saving faith was the foundation. That was a given. 
They're, they are a church, if you will, because of their faith, by grace through faith. But Paul probably meant something a little bit more here. Saving faith in Christ is certainly the cornerstone of Christian living, but I think it's safe to say that we don't need an abounding faith to be saved, do we? We need a genuine faith, even a kernel. And we should get an amen from that, because if God needed abounding faith, we'd all be hurting, I think. And while we can never move beyond the significance of the cross, not theologically, not philosophically, not intelligently, any, any, intellectually rather, not in any way, it's just not possible because the gospel permeates all truth. The Corinthian church, however, had moved beyond the milk of the word to, what, to the meat of the word. They were now abounding in faith. We see a different church than we saw in 1 Corinthians. Saving faith in Christ, therefore, signifies our birth into the family of God. We all have that here. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, your saving faith in Christ signifies your birth into the family of God. But an abounding faith signifies your growth and maturity in the family of God. It's more. We are to abound in faith. How many Christians today are still drinking milk? I drank just, I don't think I drank anything for about a decade, even being a believer. I was not abounding. I was barely holding on, resting on the laurels of God's promise. And praise God, His promises never fail, but there was no abounding. We are to abound in faith. Again, how many Christians are still drinking milk? Or are you still drinking milk? Or are you abounding? God is calling us to abound in faith. Now realize that God's word is inexhaustible, and we are all drinking milk in some areas. I understand that. But it shouldn't be every area. We shouldn't be drinking milk for 20 years in the same area. We are to abound in faith. We're to grow in that knowledge, grow in our walk with Christ, abound in faith, moving forward for the cause of Christ within us and for the cause of Christ in others, which brings us really to the next area of the Corinthian church that they abounded in. Look at verse 7 again. He says, Therefore... As ye abound in everything, in faith and utterance. See that you abound in this grace also. And the Greek word for utterance, it's actually logos. Logos. In the beginning was the word. Logos. It's actually a quite a complex word. It means to express one's thoughts or to express what you hold to be as true. I believe that Paul's intent here was to highlight their communication with other people, to highlight the preaching, utter, utter these truths. So we are not only to abound in conviction, but in our communications with other people. So what we have here is an apostle-approved example of a church, and that's significant. And because they were abounding in their communication, we are to also abound in our communications. Put differently, we are to abound in the uttering of what we hold to be true. The Word of God. The Gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, the next area, right there in that verse, in verse number 7, is knowledge. Um, So Paul's intent in abounding in utterance is probably not the same as abounding in knowledge. Otherwise, he wouldn't have used knowledge there again. But it's more of a reference to abound in the preaching of the Word of God. Early on, Paul's, early on in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, 
where he had to, right off the beginning there in chapter 1, when he had to address the divisions in the church, you know, some of Apollo, some of Paul, and so forth, Paul wrote in a way to unify them, and he did so through the utterance, through preaching of the cross. We, we might have some differences, but we should all line up behind the gospel message. We should all line up behind the cross. In verse 18 of chapter 1 of his first letter, he said, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God for the preaching, logos, for the logos of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the gift of God. And back to our text in 2 Corinthians 8, Paul exhorted them, God exhorts us to abound in grace like they were abounding in their communicating. Right? He says, later on, he says, abound in this grace also, like, just like you're abounding and you're preaching. In other words, the Corinthian church had begun to move beyond those quarrels they had, that they had within the church, to communicate the gospel truth outside the church in their own community. In their own community. This once very divided, very worldly congregation was now earning the reputation of a church that abounded in the preaching of the Word of God. What a testimony, what a, what a transition, what a character development, if we can use some modern thinking there. They received a well done from an apostle of Jesus Christ. You're abounding. Good job. Good job, Corinth. They learned that a church without unity rarely looks beyond itself, so they rallied behind the cross to reach their, the people around them. They put feet to their abounding faith. They just didn't have a faith that stayed within these walls. They put feet to their faith, and they made an impact. To those around them, they preached the gospel. They didn't just share the word from the pulpit, mind you, but they abounded in utterance. This is not abounding. This is maybe a, a duty or an ob- obligation, if you will. Abounding goes beyond these walls. They didn't wait around. I think if we can put it this way, they didn't wait around for someone to ask why they went to church. Their abounding faith propelled them to abound in the preaching of the word of God and just go get them to follow the gospel message. And for the record, for the apostle to write under the inspiration of God that as ye abound in utterance, this abounding was probably more than the pastor. It was probably more than just the deacons speaking. This is the entire church carrying the light of the gospel message. This is the entire church abounding. Verse number one of this very letter says he wrote to the church of God, not to the pastor, not to the deacons, not to a handful of people. He wrote to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints which are in all Achaia. They were abounding as a congregation. So it wasn't the pastor alone abounding in the sharing of the truth of the gospel. It wasn't just a handful of the faithful few, if you will. The church as a whole abounded in faith and in utterance. And friends, this really should be our desire. This should be our desire. We are not to be content with the spiritual status quo of our community or of our family or our friends. We are to abound in the sharing of that saving truth, that same truth that saved us. And then lastly, we see there in verse number 7, Paul wrote again, Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence, see that ye abound in this grace also. So skipping knowledge, Paul wrote, As ye abound in all diligence... See that ye abound in this grace also. Now that word diligence speaks of our commitment, and we are indeed to abound in our commitment. This word 
is also a, a kind of a unique word. It can be translated as diligent, as commitment, but also zeal. Also zeal. The fact that Paul wrote that they abounded in all diligence means that the church at Corinth showed great diligence in all areas of ministry. Look, it says in all diligence, not in some diligence, not just in indulgence. He put that word all, past in the Greek, in all diligence. They were, if I can put it this way, they were flat out zealous for the things of God. Oh, could we be a zealous church for the things of God? They were zealous in prayer, zealous in the scriptures, zealous in the worship of their creator and their redeemer, zealous in the assembling of themselves together. They were committed to the things of God. They abounded in these things. And to go back to the word abound, they were abounding in their commitments to God, both their personal commitments, their corporate commitments, their family commitments, their friends, the commitments with their friends. They abounded in all diligence. They exceeded the fixed measure of their previous level of commitment by large increments. They abounded. They flourished and thrived in all areas for the cause of Christ in their local church. They abounded. What a testimony from Paul to them. You see, they pressed toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God, of Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, in just about every area that a church could abound in. They were becoming a model church despite their early struggles. And while it is not some great revealing truth, our world desperately needs today diligent churches, diligent Christians. We need believers to be more about our Father's business, to abound even. We need churches on fire for the gospel of Christ. We need moms and dads, leaders and teachers, pastors and deacons, even children, to greatly increase their commitments to Christ, to prayer, to his word, to his church. You and I need to abound in all diligence. You see, Paul, he used their abounding in these areas as an example of how they are to abound in grace giving. So think about this for a moment. If the Corinthian church was only mediocre in these areas, and Paul wanted to teach them about the zeal of grace giving and that they should abound in that grace like they were abounded in those other areas, I don't think he would have used those areas as an example unless he only wanted to give for them to give just a few pennies here and there. No, this church, if I can put it this way, was firing on all eight cylinders. They were not perfect. We know many, much about their issues, but they shined a bright light in Corinth for God to use them greatly. They were ready to abound when Paul wrote these things. They were ready to abound in the grace bestowed upon the churches of Macedonia. They just needed one thing, somebody to teach them. And that was Paul's job. Let me tell you about some other grace that you're missing out on. Let me tell you about the grace of God bestowed on the, on the, on the churches of Macedonia. They were abounding in every area they knew. Paul said abound in this area too. They abounded in their diligence serving God. They abounded, abounded in their preaching of the word of God. And they abounded in the faith of God through Jesus Christ. It was ready, Paul says, for them to abound in this grace also, which we'll visit that next week. But I challenge you as a church, and God has challenged me, let us to abound in these areas. We want to abound in every area of our life that pleases God. May we also abound in these things and in God's grace. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.